0: Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Romans chapter 8, this week we pick up with verse 16. This is the word of God and it is eternally true. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray now as we come to your word that you will be pleased to feed us, that this will be to us the bread of life. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul has been, uh, he's writing the church in Rome. So this is a couple thousand years ago, and he's speaking to them about problems uh, that they have. And a lot of our problems are faith. They're not actually what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink, but we're what is true about us. An awful lot of the time we spend looking at our sin, looking at our fears, and asking, where is God in these things? And the Apostle Paul has been explaining that for Christians, it's very difficult to live in a way that pleases God, because we see our sin. And the older we become as Christians, the more of our sin we see the more we see not just the objective sins of stealing and theft and speeding and, and gossip, but we also see that the motivations, even the things we do that are good, are, are, are often corrupt. That are, We have sinful motivations, right? And so it can lead us to despair. It can lead us to think, well, what in the world is the sense of being a Christian? If what it means is that more and more you're aware of your sin. I mean, that's not like peaceful. That doesn't give me the peaceful, easy feeling. And so the Apostle Paul, loving the believers, explains to them that this is the normal Christian life that it is normal for Christians, as they mature in their faith, to see more their sin and more God's holiness, to come to a deeper understanding of the character of God's law, to be less intimidated by the tiny rules that are being spit at us by the administrative authorities of our life, and to see more the big rules, the laws of God, that the administrative authorities in our life hope we won't obey. And we get flipped upside down, we begin to feel the weight of life, (laughs) you know? Because after all, the culture we live in is determined to remove any weight from life. And all of a sudden, we begin to see not just our sin, but other people's sin, our loved ones and our children and all of a sudden mothers begin to see that they have even more reasons to be angry at their little kids than they thought they had. They thought the only thing they should be angry about is when the child makes her life more difficult as a mother. <laughs> but then they learned that they should actually be angry when their little kid's life dishonors God. Then they begin to tremble for the lives of their children. It's like, really, can we have religion but have it light? You know, like Coke light. You know, like happy meals. You know, like pancakes with maple syrup. That's what I'm thinking about. You know, living together without benefit of marriage. You know, sex light. Without pregnancy, sex, you know, sex light, right? Well, the Apostle Paul loves God's people and he looks at them and he says, listen, this is the normal Christian life. You have been saved to this. Don't try to take whatever the latest downer is, you know, or upper or whatever it is. Don't try to medicate away your pain. The only medication is that your heart is weaned from this world and its sin, and you begin to have your home in heaven. And the more your home is in heaven, the more your eyes are on heaven, the more you're going to be able to live the normal Christian life, which is a growing acclamation to the disparity between this life and what you know you were made for. Wake up, sleeper! And you say, okay, okay, I'm... all right, now, here's the truth. No, 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 I can't bear the truth. Can't bear it. Wake up, sleeper. Okay, do I get breakfast? And this is the normal Christian life. We're told to wake up, we read the Bible. What does the Bible do every time you open it? It wakes you up, sleeper. (laughs) You know, it never, never seems to actually be what you read on Google News page. And so we have this tension, and the Apostle Paul is acutely aware of it, and he's sympathetic, and he says, listen, the normal Christian life is that you are going to feel the disparity between who God made you to be and who you actually are. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's a description of the process of sanctification. You say, Well, I don't want sanctification. I just want justification. You know, I just want a point in time where the work is complete and finished because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And from then on, it's just grace. You know, no, actually, you have been saved to be sanctified. You have been saved because God had appointed good works for you to do from eternity past, and now give yourself to them. (laughs) There you go. No, don't like that. And my response, and the Apostle Paul's response, is to say, yeah, I don't like it either. But you know, the Christian life has never been, what would you like? Honey, I don't know, what would you like? Well, I don't know, what would you like? Christian life has always been about the lordship of Jesus Christ. And really, if you think about it, if you have a weak husband, you know, he wants you to mother him, isn't it a relief to know that somebody is Lord? I mean, honestly. Don't we really want to have the lordship of God? We really do. And so, okay, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's dealing with us. And he gets to the point where he knows we're faint with weakness, and he says to us, listen, here's a goodie that you've been given that should comfort you in the midst of this difficulty, and that goodie is that you are a son of God. Listen, when you became a believer, when you were justified, God adopted you as his sons. Now, do you have any idea all the things you get from being adopted as a son of God? And you go, no, I'm still sort of not real pleased with this whole process. He says, well, let's think about adoption for a second. Do you realize that in your heart, there is a still small voice that cries out, Abba, Father. And you go, well, you know, a couple of times I've heard that voice. And he says to you, when, precisely when did you hear this, this voice? And then he says to you, you know when you hear that voice, that that voice is the Spirit of God testifying that God has adopted you and that you are now a son of God. And you go, well, I'm not sure I want to be a son of God. I'd rather be a daughter of God. He says, okay, children of God. Technos. You know, a little one. Are you, are you okay with that? You say, yeah. He says, now, a little secret, in a little while, you will actually receive the inheritance of a son, but we won't mention that for a while. So he switches over to the language of children. Little ones. Toddlers. So you're Adopted. And what it means, he goes on, because he's trying to get you to be willing to depend on God instead of yourself. And and so he goes on and he says, now listen, if you're an adopted son of God and the Spirit of God is, is witnessing with your spirit that you are God and you're crying out, Father, that means what? Well, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're children. And if children, what? Heirs. And you're thinking, Heirs? Heirs? You know, it, we don't really think about being an heir of God, do we? We have so much wealth in America that inheritance just doesn't have any of the weight it used to have. I mean, it, it does matter to us, but it just really doesn't matter. You know, the bumper sticker, you know, I'm spending my children's inheritance. Have you seen that? Well, if you go to any casino, you'll see it. It's a bunch of old people spending their children's inheritance. It's the most depressing thing. I go in occasionally to remind myself that there's not just depravity, but total depravity. It's God-awful. And so we're heirs of God. Heirs. And that means that God has what? Well and inheritance are goodies that are stored up for you. And so it's not just that you're an adopted son of God and that you can claim to be Christ's younger brother, but it's also that you will receive from God a glory that you have not yet received. In other words, being an heir is always about something future, right? And so here... He's telling you you're not just a son, you've not just been adopted, but you're an heir. And you think, well, what do I want in the future? Remember how I said at the beginning, the whole point of the Christian life is to turn your eyes off the world and to look towards heaven and realize that's your home and that you will not be at home until you're there. Okay? Maybe the perfect definition of worldling is a worldling is somebody who thinks they should be at home here and wants to be and works towards that end. And so he's telling you you're an heir also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then the Apostle Paul does that thing that I never get brownie points from pointing out to you. And that is he puts a condition on the clause. Or he gives you a conditional clause in this case. And that is, if... So in other words, us inheriting is conditional to us doing something. And you say, no, 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 what can we do? We can't do anything. I say, okay, you've, 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 you've learned Reformed 101. Okay, yeah, you can't do anything except believe, except have faith, except choose God. I mean, that's all biblical. So apparently you do have to do something. And here it's clear. We're heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if, and then not just if, but indeed. In other words, there must be a not indeed. In other words, authentically and inauthentically, genuinely and counterfeit, if genuinely, if authentically, if really, if indeed, we are suffer with him so that, another purpose clause, so that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, if you will not suffer with Jesus, you will not receive your inheritance. Does that make sense to you? Do you see it's what the Bible says? If you don't suffer with Jesus... You will not be glorified. You will not receive the glory that's been prepared for you. And you say immediately what any idiot would say when told that, which is, you know, (laughs) well, (laughs) Uh, uh, what kind of suffering? what kind of suffering and how bad will it be? You know, you don't want to look like you're, you know, a coward and a wuss, (laughs) you know, but you would like to know what kind of suffering and how bad it will be. Right? Right, Wes? Yep. Do you remember when... Uh, and I'm going to have to have help on this. Which disciple was it who said, what do you have for him? Jesus said to Peter, or no, John. Who was it, Stephen? Come on, help me. Okay, so would you tell the story? Because he says to... Okay, Pastor Halsey, would you stand up and preach for a second? <laughs> Come on, stand up. Yeah. Jesus tells Peter, When you're old, someone will yield be found and take you where you don't want to go. And Peter looks behind him and sees John. <laughs> he says, Well oh Lord, about him? <laughs> <laughs> and then Jesus says, What? Yeah, Jesus says, what does that have to do with you? I'm talking to you. And so, you know, you just think about how we say, you know, you're going to have to suffer, you know, and we say, what suffering and how bad is it going to be? Everybody asks the question. And, you know, when you're preaching and you know the people in the church, (laughs) some of you suffer because of your family relationships, Some of you suffer because of a terrible marriage. Some of you suffer because you have physical conditions that are horrible to deal with. Some of you suffer because your parents disown you. Some of you suffer because you have to deal with children who have no fear of God. Some of you suffer because you have a job that you hate. Some of you suffer because you're stupid. Some of you suffer because you're fat. Some of you suffer because you have Tim Bailey as a pastor. (laughs) You know, there's lots of suffering in this world. Some of us suffer because we cannot say no to a sin that just dogs us, moment by moment, day by day. And all of that suffering together is the Christian life. And again, it's the normal Christian life. And the minute we say to God, I will not suffer like Christ suffered, we have said to God, I will not receive my inheritance. There is no path to heaven that does not involve suffering. And suffering, by definition, is not suffering if it's not painful. (laughs) It sounds stupid to say, right? You know, suffering isn't suffering if it isn't painful. Deep, deep, you know. And so if you find a way to suffer without having pain, then you will not inherit the glory of God. Okay? So what this means is that your suffering has a purpose. And not just when your heart cries out, Abba, Father, but also when you suffer you should realize that God is testifying to you that you belong to him. In other words, in God, in Christ, suffering is redemptive. It's not redemptive in the sense that it qualifies us for heaven, but it's redemptive in the sense that it testifies to us of heaven. It witnesses to us that we're children of God. It witnesses to us that we will receive the inheritance. It witnesses to us that we're sons of God, that we're heirs. It doesn't mean you're going to enjoy it, but it does mean that it has a, a, a sweet gold lining. Okay? Okay? At this point, the Apostle Paul stops and gives us an aside, and the Apostle Paul often does that, where he's, he's going in a direction and all of a sudden he goes off on a rabbit trail, right? And here's his rabbit trail. He says, For, So in other words, we're opening up this issue of suffering. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This ain't nothing compared to the glory that is going to be our inheritance. All right? Now, why does he do that? Well, notice that he changes from the plural first person, we, to I. All of a sudden, he makes it real personal. For I consider, why would the Apostle Paul make it personal? Well, the Apostle Paul makes it personal there because everybody in the churches in Ephesus and Colossae and in Rome... And in Corinth, all the churches constantly told stories to their children about the Apostle Paul. Because he was their hero. We always tell stories to our kids about people who suffer for a larger good. And so everybody knew the Apostle Paul suffered. And so at this point, he pulls in his street cred as a sufferer, and he says, I... And everybody knows, he suffered. And he says, I consider. And you go, are you serious? You really think that the, your suffering is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed to you? I mean, my suffering, you know, I'm, I'm game, you know, because I haven't suffered. But your suffering? You say about your pile of suffering. So what was the Apostle Paul's pile of suffering? Because he's made it very personal here. He's gone to I. Okay, well, here's his suffering 2nd Corinthians 11 23 to 29. He's in, in a battle with false, rich celebrities, pastors that are on television, and they're always poo pooing him, and they're demeaning him, and they're just dissing him, and they're just trashing the Apostle Paul constantly. And we know this because we've read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And the label there that we use for those men is super apostles. And he's in a battle with them. And they're demeaning him and trying to get people to turn away from his doctrine, not read his letters that he's writing them. And he has to fight them. And he can't just maintain his scrupulous surgical sterility and and watch from outside while they attack him. Because to attack him is to attack truth. To attack them is to harm the sheep. So he has to defend himself. And so we pick up the account where he says, are they servants of Christ? So he's playing this game of they're this, I'm this. Are they this? I'm this. You know, Well, nobody likes that. I remember Elizabeth Elliot writing and saying, I never defend myself. And I was so intimidated by that. I thought, oh boy, I'm going to try that out. But of course, Elizabeth Elliot wasn't a pastor. She was a celebrity. She never defended herself. She she had such great dignity that she never defended herself. Because why? Well, because apparently when anybody attacked Elizabeth Elliot, there was nothing at stake. (laughs) And then I learned that you have to defend yourself because the Apostle Paul never stopped doing that. And so here he says, comparisons are odious. But here... He delves into the comparison. He says, Are they servants of Christ? His enemies, the ones destroying the flock in Corinth. Are they servants of Christ? And here's what he says I speak as if insane. That's actually the words that that come next. In other words, I've got to be insane to do what I'm about to do. Are they servants of Christ? You know, he's comparing. "I'm, I'm a servant of Christ too. You're a servant of Christ? I'm a servant of Christ. I have to be insane. Come on, we feel it. He says, I speak as if insane. I'm more so." I mean, that's pathetic. I'm more a servant of Christ than you are. Nope, I'm more of a servant of Christ than you are. No, uh-uh-uh. Nanny, nanny, poop, poo I have to be insane. I'm more of a servant of Christ than they are. Right? And then he says... Five thousand people registered for my last conference, and I have ten books published by Crossway, and that's a real publisher. And my degree is from Gordon Conwell, and we have a hundred men in our pastors' college. Everywhere I go, the world celebrates my presence. Occasionally, I put out tweets like this saying, I'm the best pastor in the world, you know. (laughs) Everybody realizes my great, great, great godliness. It's just so disgusting what qualifies as being a servant of Christ in the church today. So when the Apostle Paul is having his sheep destroyed because other false shepherds are saying that they are servants of Christ, and Paul isn't. And Paul has to argue about it. He says, okay, I'm insane, but now listen. I have 5,000 people at my last conference. Is that what he says? No, this is what he says. He says, I have to be insane. I more so, in far more labors, in other words, I work harder, okay, in far more imprisonments. Well, who can argue with that? The guy gets busted. I mean, if that ain't street cred, what is? Well, I can see he won the argument. That's where my argument falls to the ground. I was hoping he wouldn't make that particular point, but I can see that he's more than a match for me. Imprisonments. In what way is being imprisoned a qualification to be judged a better servant of Christ? Imprisoned far more imprisonments, and then beaten times without number. We can see we're headed down a path that is insane. Right? Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Count it. How many? 195 lashes. 195 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. So for a day and a night, he treaded water in the sea. I have been on frequent journeys away from home, in dangers from rivers. dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he gets to the real suffering. Because he turns from the externals to the internals. And he says, Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern?" For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. How could you not love the Apostle Paul? Honestly. How could you not love him? His credentials are suffering. And this is the man that is telling us that if we will not suffer, then we will not inherit the blessing of the glory. You know what the theme of every single book that I read for pleasure, I read some books for work, but if I read fiction for pleasure, you know what the theme almost invariably is? Almost invariably, it's about a leader who suffers and is unbelievably loved by the men under him. Why do I read about that? There is no more glorious thing for a man than to suffer and to be joined with other men in suffering. There is nothing higher. If I tell the story of the various bosses I've had and the jobs I've had, always... I will start out by telling whether or not it was a good boss or a bad boss. And it's not based upon how good the work is that that boss does. Sometimes good bosses aren't really good at their job. Except being a boss. What I say is... And I think of Dan that I worked with all during seminary, cleaning carpets downtown Boston in one of the skyscrapers there. Every month, we'd clean the top five floors, the carpet. It was a wealthy company. And Dan had this uh, station wagon. And the station wagon had the back seat down and loaded in the station wagon were all the rotos, you know, the, the floor cleaning machines. And those rotos are very heavy. And so you'd show up at the job, and Dan would have his station wagon out in front of the door. And you'd be down there at the station wagon with Dan, and you'd reach in to pull one of those rotos out. And remember, they're heavy, very heavy. And so when you're trying to pull it out, you know, let's, let's picture that it, well, you can't see it, but, you know, it would be about this high. And so you're, you're standing at the edge of the tailgate and you're reaching in to grab this thing. So your back is fully extended. And then you're lifting a very heavy weight. It's not good. It's exactly what you're told not to do. And you know what Dan would always do? Dan would always say, no, 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 here, let me get that. And Dan was like 50, and we were like 25, 28. How much do you love a boss like that? And then you go into the military, you go into the Navy, the Marines. What officer in the Marines is loved? Then you go to your father. What father is loved? The father is loved who disciplines his son. Why is he loved? Well, because he has to suffer the wrath of his mother. I mean, <laughs> his wife. <laughs> Not actually his mother, his wife. In other words, if a father disciplines the children, his, 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 wife, his wife is going to punish him for doing it. That's who sons love because they know that their father cares more about their soul than he cares about good vibes with the woman he goes to bed with. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, buck up. This is the normal Christian life. You're a son of God. Every father that loves his son disciplines his son. Buck up. Spirit inside you testifies you belong to him. You've been adopted. It says, Abba, Father. Buck up. I... Consider that the things we suffer are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. If you don't suffer, you won't get your inheritance. I consider, and you think, I, I, who's this? Paul, the Apostle Paul. Oh man, what a boss he is. I can follow him. And the truth is, every woman who has children wants a husband who will suffer her wrath to discipline her children. It's a little lie that she'll never, that she'll, she'll always lie and tell you that you're, you're wrong. And then she'll be so relieved when you go against her, her counsel. It's true. It's a little secret that wives won't tell you. But they actually do want a man for a husband. <laughs> And here is a man, a prince among men, the Apostle Paul, and he's just asking us to follow him. And he's not a feather better, and he's not a lazy dog, and he doesn't ask us to do the nasty jobs. He's always there ahead of us saying, let me do that. Okay? Okay, And so how hard is that? Can you follow the Apostle Paul? And you say, I follow nobody but Jesus Christ. And I say, oh, come on, for heaven's sakes. You follow people all the time. You know? There's all kinds of people you follow. Start with Facebook. (laughs) You know? Of course we follow people. Why not choose for once to follow somebody worth choosing? And that's the Apostle Paul. And if he considers that the sufferings that we have to go through, childlessness, CPS coming to our front door. You know how to avoid having CPS come to your front door, don't you? It's very simple. Don't have children. If you want to be safe and not suffer, the first rule is don't have children. Right, Esther? Come on, be honest. There are many times it would have been much easier not to have had, Jason. There is no way to inherit the kingdom of God without suffering. There's none. You can't do it. And you may not choose your suffering. The Holy Spirit is the perfect, uh, what would you call it, uh, athletic trainer. Okay, He knows exactly the kind of suffering you have to have, And the minute you get envious about somebody else's suffering and wish you were able to suffer the way they do, you can be sure that they're looking at you thinking they wish that they could suffer the way you suffer. And if we will not suffer, we will not inherit the glory. Now, I have to end, and I haven't gotten into the sermon. David says, one minute. I have one minute left. And I want to say this to you. The section we're about to go in is as countercultural as you can possibly imagine because the next section gives us true environmentalism. The next section tells us what really is wrong with Mother Nature and the Earth, but it does it in exactly the opposite way from environmentalists. Because the next section and Scripture show us that the most blessed state of the land is to be inhabited, to be built upon, and to be planted. And that's the opposite of environmentalism. And so if you want to prepare for next week's sermon, just look up the word land in Scripture. And notice where Scripture makes an agent of the land. It personifies the land. It turns the land into a person who has emotions and stuff like that. And that's a hint of next week. Okay? But now I'm going to end this week by saying to you, I testify to you this day, now this is me, not the Apostle Paul, there's never been anything that God has asked of me that is painful, that the blessings that come from it are not a hundred times what I was could ever have imagined I have never chosen to be obedient in a way that causes immediate pain without having unbelievable blessings come to me I mean honestly this is true I have made decisions not to be obedient and I have no clue the blessings that I have lost because of that and this is what I tell pastors who are young over and over and over again Because most pastoral leadership consists of you deciding to embrace present pain for the sake of future glory. Okay? And I testify to you this day that there is no man who is 65 years of old and preaching this morning who has as many blessings through his church as I do. Honestly. Honestly. And I said a similar thing to a man this morning, and he immediately looked at me and accused me of flattering him. I said to him, when was the last time I flattered you? He said, well, let me think, seven, ten years ago. (coughs) You look around at this church, and then you look at the other churches you know about through your loved one's lives, and you ask yourself, what church would you like to be a pastor, an elder, or an older woman in? Caring for people? Come on. It's drop-dead gorgeous, sweet, loving. It's, it's just sweet. Was this church always this way? No. We used to be called Church of the Good Shepherd. And then we were called Clear Note Church. And why do you think we had to change our name? That's a joke. (laughs) That's just just a joke. My point is that there have been many years of living together, and suffering as people suffering, and that's what produces holiness. That's what produces love. It does it in marriage. It does it in the rearing of children. It certainly does it with football. Hello? Uh, no pain, no gain, duh. <laughs> I mean, come on. Why is it true? Everywhere else but in the church, we're supposed to sit with golden sp- silver spoons in our mouth. Come on. Buck up. Suffer. It's fun. It's possible Paul's done it. And don't you want to be like Mike? Or, I mean, Paul? That's a joke, right? Okay, let's pray. Father, we pray that you will feed us from your word each week, that we will grow. We pray that we will be willing to suffer. We pray that those this morning that have been presented with awful pain will have hope for the glory that is ahead and that we will be sensitive to their pain and will help them along the path. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.